welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Home Efficiency. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. My name is Scott Cooney, and my company has done energy and water efficiency retrofits for more than 13,000 homes and small businesses, saving our customers more than $3 million a year on their electric and water bills, while also reducing more than 11 million pounds of carbon pollution per year. Would you like to start offering this type of service in your community? Do it for a living? Make money? You can. Check out homeefficiency.com for more info. We do flat fee consulting to help you get started with our model, training you, giving the inventory, tools, software, and support you'll need. No royalties, no hidden fees, no sneaky add-ons. You can just get started. Ready to work with your hands and make a difference every day? Do it. Go to homeefficiency.com. Check out. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zachary Shahan, Director of Clean Technica, and I'm joined today by Scott Cooney, another member of the executive management team at Clean Technica. Uh, today, we are actually not exactly talking about clean tech, but are talking about another topic that we're very passionate about, and Scott works very hard on uh, talking about plastic, um, plastics, um, and uh, I'll let you jump into to, to sort of lead us off, but I know that you said you listened recently to a great episode of Planet Money um, that was about plastics, and that sort of triggered this this idea. Yeah, thanks, Zach. And um, yeah, the, the recent episode of Planet Money is called Wasteland, and it was a fantastic sort of in, investigative journalism sort of look into the history of the plastics industry and and uh, and how it came to be where it is today. Um, and, it, and it really sh- sort of shines a light on some of the challenges that we're facing. And I think that, you know, there, there's a pretty strong crossover with clean tech and plastic in that you know, there's, you know, plastic comes from oil. So the, the more plastic we buy, the more oil uh, has a, uh, a positive uh, demand cycle in the free market. And therefore, the more profitable oil is, the more people will invest in oil and and uh, and try to um, produce more, drill more, that sort of thing. So, um, so I, I think the plastic industry and the um, the oil industry obviously are very hands uh, hands together. And um, you know, it, when when we look at solutions to climate change, we have to look at it holistically. And plastic is a big part of it. Yeah, and I don't know why it is, but plastic always makes me like a little more depressed and pessimistic. Like it just seems like such a daunting problem you just see plastics everywhere and everything and it's like uh i get i just i i know you know there's alternatives you know increasingly but it just always feels like overwhelming when i think about i know cars and electricity are also challenging but they just sort of have a few sort of points it's you know you you have to you have to basically there's just a few like sort of sort of audiences or, or target customers who you have to sort of reach and it's done, you know, it's like you, you make the transition. Plastic seems like it's in every industry and so many little components. Uh, so can you speak a little bit about how you see the transition happening away from plastics and how to sort of overcome that kind of over feeling of overwhelming when thinking about it? 
Yeah, totally. And I, I think it's a it's a thing a lot of people share in the environmental community and people looking at sustainability from a holistic point of view. Um, you know, the, the electric vehicle transformation is happening. It's happening faster than many of us ever expected. Um, you know, we can bring on all the commercial and utility scale solar and and wind and all that kind of stuff to, uh, to re so, so there's a path forward for eliminating fossil fuel use in passenger vehicles. There's a path forward for uh, semi-trucks. There's a path forward even for aviation. It, it's, it's, it's easier to see the future in those industries. And, uh, and that's, and that's neat. That's, that's great that we're seeing that we're, it's great that the market demand is so strong and it's great that it's, it's moving in the right direction on so many levels as you guys always, um, write about on clean technico so um that's great it's it's very different when it comes to plastic um i, I don't think that we've seen a solution that is uh, so clear and it's like oh somebody created a biodegradable plastic not made from oil made from some sort of sustainable material that has all the you know components of plastic i mean plastic is a is a pretty useful thing that's why it has become so ubiquitous and uh, that's fine. I, I don't think plastic has to go away anytime soon. I think it can be uh, petered out over time. And uh, I think that's realistically the only thing we can look at is, is a, as a, um, a reduction until the technologies get better. And then, um, and then at some point, you know, we'll start hitting some tipping points like we're seeing with the electric vehicle revolution. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's a, a, a big picture view um, I always like to talk about the fact that leaded gasoline didn't go away because we regulated it out or we had a law against it or anything like that. It kind of went away more because there were better alternatives. They were uh, market-friendly solution, meaning that they, they were priced to a point that, that people didn't bristle too much. Um, and so you had this balance between the environmental where you know, lead in the air and in our drinking water is obviously a bad thing and makes people you know have, have lower IQs and um, obviously, you, know, you, you just don't want to be breathing or, or drinking lead. Um, so there was enough of that. And then once we had uh, better fuels that were available, didn't have it, then the political resistance sort of falls away and then things can happen. So I, I'd see that with pretty much every aspect of society that we're trying to change, that it's, a, it's an interesting model to think through the whole leaded gasoline thing. And so with, um, with cars, we have that. Um, with plastic, we we don't really. So that's that's kind of a big part of the problem. Um, I, I think there's, that there's just there's such a culture too, like of just buying this throwaway culture is just so strong, and it's like yeah, you know, before Clean Technica, I worked uh, my graduate degree was city and regional planning, and then I worked as director of a nonprofit focused on encouraging encouraging people and uh, government to bike, walk, use transit, and sustainable development, and um, I still, it's, it's still a critical thing, but it was very hard pushing against culture. Like you could, it could make sense for someone in like five ways to bike to work, but they'd still just drive. And it was very hard <laughs> to sort of break the cultural habits. So yes. much was habits. I mean, I remember, remember early on when I first started writing, I wrote repeatedly about habits because so much is just about habits and all you have to do is change a habit and then it's easy. It's just that process of changing the habit that's hard. But the throwaway culture is just something that's, it's so it's like, I don't, you know, so it's like, you, like you said, you need a better alternative, but there's still an inherent problem that we just don't value stuff enough. We just think that we can just use and throw away like so many times a day. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, so this this Planet Money episode was really interesting, and you know, if if we're looking to industry to solve this problem, um, I, I think we're we're probably putting our focus in the wrong place. I mean, they they, uh, they started off by saying, "How did we get to where we are?" And they had all these recyclers who um, were in this you know seventies and the birth of the environmental movement who were starting to recycle newspaper and glass and cardboard and and stuff like that. And then at some point they were like, okay, we can actually recycle uh, milk jugs and soda bottles. And so they added those in. And then once they added those in, people um, through this phenomenon called wish cycling, uh, they were they were throwing in all number of types of plastic in there, wishing and hoping that somebody would recycle it because there's a lot of eco guilt around you know getting rid of plastics in this throwaway culture, um, which is so prevalent. So um, in the, in the podcast with planet money, they, you know, the recycler, she was interviewing the recycler guy and he said, you know, I called uh, my, my colleague doing the same sort of recycling business in Colorado. And then I called another one in New Hampshire and I called another one and they were like, yeah, we're starting to see all these plastics show up. And what it was, was the industry started placing that little stamp on the recycling on plastic itself. So every, every um, piece of plastic that started getting manufactured started having a recycle symbol on it. And that was part of a big PR campaign that the plastics industry ran back then to tell people that this was a problem that could be thrown in your recycle bin and therefore you didn't have to really think about it too much. Huh. Um, so that's where that all started. The, the numbers one through seven and the, that recycle symbol, that was an industry campaign. And they lobbied. Wow. I was, you know, I assume like yeah. everyone that that was like regulated. And, nope. you know, no, they, they lobbied very aggressively, according to this podcast, to um, have 40 states implement laws that, you know, uh, required some education around plastic recycling and, and required any manufacturer of plastics to put this recycle symbol on it. Hmm. And that, of course, confuses the market. And to this day, um, you still see a lot of unrecyclable plastics getting into the waste stream, uh, trying to get wish cycled away. And the, the bottom line is that no matter what we've done and best efforts that we've had, less than 10% of all the plastic ever created has been recycled. Um, plastic just doesn't recycle very well. It breaks the chemical composition, breaks down. You can't turn a plastic bag into another plastic bag. It's uh, chemical composition changes. And so therefore it doesn't become as useful. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally bottom line, it's still cheaper to drill for oil, produce virgin plastic and sell it to the market and then have it sit in a landfill forever. And that, that is fundamentally the breakdown of capitalism. Um, and you know, Zach, you know me for many years. I'm a, I'm a five-time entrepreneur and I, I'm a big defender of capitalism. The, the real challenge is that the capitalism that we're doing is not real capitalism. As long as companies are able to push some of their costs off onto society, it's not real capitalism. It's not the true cost of their product. So um, for instance, with plastics, they go into the waste stream, they go into the ocean. Um, there's, there's a cost to all of us. We, um, we are all eating. <laughs> this is the most disgusting stat I've ever heard, but um, we are all eating on average about five grams of plastic per week. And that's an wow. average um, for all Americans. And, and there's a lot, I know there's a lot of uh, science around this topic. I don't know if how much what's confirmed or not, but I know there's an idea at least uh, that this plastic is making humans less potent, less fur, less fertile. Like, yeah, that is yeah. dropping um, our ability to reproduce. 
I don't know yeah. what you know about that, if that's true or not. Absolutely. So the, um, the, there was a great book. This is now, I think, 30 years old. It was called Our Stolen Future, uh, author named Theo Colburn. And she was a wildlife biologist who found reproductive issues in species that they had never seen reproductive issues in before. Um, and so she dove into literature and started looking at um, why these, these species were having issues. And she was looking at shorebirds in the Great Lakes, um, you know, predatory birds, everything from bald eagles to ospreys and um, whatever else, and found that there was all sorts of weird things that were not resulting in um, successful breeding pairs. And so much of it she was able to trace back to um, similar, similar findings in other high-level predators in other ecosystems, Florida alligators and a variety of others. And the, the bottom line was that the chemicals have hormone disrupting kind of capabilities. And so they were able to, um, you know, just, just from you know, being in uh, uh, positions where the, through the food chain, these hormone disrupting chemicals are, are um, bioaccumulating the top level predators, which of course includes us because we sit at the top of the food chain, uh, get more of this bioaccumulated chemical petrochemical uh, residual stuff, which then hurts our ability to, um, reproduce. So that yeah, was, I remember we had a, like a decade ago when we had another site, eat, drink better. We had articles about frogs turning. It's like science was, was revealing that frogs had turned from male to female or something like that because of plastics that they were, or, you know, these chemicals. From yeah. Plastics. Yeah, exactly. So, so, I mean, we can dive into all the depressing statistics. There's, there's plenty of them. But the, but the bottom line is that this is what's called an economic externality. When the plastic industry does business, they're not paying for all of these problems that come up, the trash, the stuff in the oceans, these chemicals that are leaching out, et cetera, et cetera. So therefore, they're able to produce virgin plastic at a cheaper price than they should be able to. True capitalism mm -hmm. would be an end-to-end -end life cycle analysis. You produce a product, you're paying for it. From, from cradle to grave or cradle to cradle, which is the more ideal way of doing it, but you are responsible for that cost. Um, you can look at it in any way. You can look at um, pollution from a passenger car. You can look at pollution from um, you know, airplanes. You can look at uh, child labor as an externality, as a socialized external, external cost on society. Of course, it's cheaper to cut corners. It's cheaper to manufacture things with um, third world child labor than it is to hire a union professional in the United States to produce something. Um, so if you don't have some reason that you can't do that, then companies will have to compete with other companies who are doing that. And so you, you, it basically, it's a race to the bottom. Yeah. That, and the, oh, sorry, keep going. I was going to say that, that to me is the fundamental difference between what people think of as the free market and capitalism and what really is capitalism. Because regulations yeah, yeah. set the rules that you play by. And if you continue to deregulate, which is what we have seen for so long, then the rules become the lowest common denominator and everybody has to compete for price. And that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. We, we, well, in, this, in an email setting up this podcast, you, you wrote, uh, one thing I always try to tell people on my anti-corporate side is that if it were done right, capitalism would solve all our problems, but it ain't done right. But, <laughs> And, and, you know, this is really, but it really gets to a political matter that I find quite uh, disturbing is you do have like 
on portions of the left like who who think capitalism by default is fundamentally evil or or bad and we need something different from capitalism um and then you you know that's sort of like that's that's a like what's the alternative i mean there's like what is a really the better alternative than uh you know if capitalism is sort of fundamentally a democratic free you know freedom focused um alternative to like a benevolent dictatorship or non-benevolent benevolent dictatorship or kingdom or something uh so I, I i get a little bit like i sort of just write it off as like ah it's, you know but it gets it gets a little problematic when people take it too far like want to demonize any corporation or any successful business or any successful person or just the whole process too much and uh, but also on the flip side you have this like this reaction of people who are afraid of Marxism coming in or socialism, uh, like hardcore socialism, like not just a good social safety net or democratic socialism, but like a uh, sort of a, a Marxist approach. And like, I saw a bumper of successful, nice uh, lady at my kid's school has, she has a Trump bumper sticker and she has a new um, bumper sticker about um, uh, patriotism is better than than marxism or something than going towards and i'm like no nobody's going to Mar- marxism we're not even going <laughs> close like we're not even in the same world as mark marxism like there's no chance of going to marxism but you get people who are afraid of it and people who are legitimately afraid that the left democrats are going to go towards like this extreme marxism which is com- like really unrealistic like dramatically unrealistic but it comes from this fundamental problem I think that you identified is that we don't really talk about capitalism in a clear, nuanced way enough. And like, like you said, it would be great if we had a true free market, but we don't have anything close to a free market because successful companies then capture the market. They, they don't, they, they, they basically make it so that those the externalities related to their company are socialized um, so the government and citizens basically pay for the pollution or, or other externalities they create while they get all the profits from it. And it can also socialize the risk of different companies that, you know, and so there's, there's this very uncapitalistic um, problem we have, but it's sort of, it's not really, people don't understand it. It's not framed right uh, enough, but we had this great article and we have a wonderful article that Mike Bernard wrote for us this weekend report card on Obama, Biden, Trump, Pence, and uh, the plans from Biden Harris. It's a really superb um, comparison of their policies. Not, it's not political. It's like policy focused. Um, And I was really proud of it. And I see, (laughs) I saw some like really, uh, comments along these lines. I'm trying to find which which one they tweeted on. Something like, um, while I appreciate presidents have an impact, I think climate reversal will come from industry and people. Be careful not to alienate half your audience with politics. Even if you're correct, people don't want to be told what to do. Uh, but it's like totally unrelated to the to the content of the policies. It's like they didn't look at the actual policy matters. And one more comment. Um, was basically saying I don't like regulation or something. Uh, just again, fundamentally misunderstanding that you need regulation for a healthy capitalistic environment. Now here, here it is. I love the environment. I love my Tesla and I want fossil fuels to go away, but government intervention isn't the answer. At least with free markets, industry can be held accountable by the law, which protects our property rights and consumers who vote with their wallets. 
it's like fundamentally not understanding from econ 101 the idea of externalities and that you have to correct for them for a free market to work right right yeah i, I mean that's exactly it and i and i think that's uh that's a failing of our public education system on some level we just we don't tell people about how this all works um, it, it's really simple. You can, you can, if you're having a conversation with people about this, you can be like, Hey, um, I've got an idea. Why don't we compete and, uh, let's both wa uh, launch a dog walking service. Um, and the dog walking service that I'm going to run, I'm basically going to walk the dogs and not pick up the poop. And that will save me, uh, about 15 minutes on every, sh every four hour shift. Um, of not picking up the poop. I'm just going to leave it wherever, wherever the dogs uh, poop. And, uh, and then I'll return the dogs back to their owners after that four hour shift. And um, you, uh, since you're concerned about the environment, you go ahead and pick up that dog poop um, and spend the extra 15 minutes and, and try to find, you know, and buy, buy the little baggies and, and put them in the right place. Um, so how about that? Should we compete on that? And that's, that's more or less what we're seeing. You know, when you, when you look at, um, a clean technology company versus a dirty, dirty energy company. It's more or less who's picking up the dog poop. Yeah. And it's like, it's not, it's not a question of a Marxist approach of the government coming in and taking over companies and running the companies. It's nothing even close to that. All that's no. saying is like, we Pick have, your dog poop. we have, yeah, we have, we have certain industries that cause 200,000, 200,000 premature deaths a year from health problems related to air pollution all we're saying is that should be paid by the by the companies that create the pollution they should have to internalize those costs they should have yep. to either stop polluting or pay a price so that those two hundred thousand people who die prematurely every year um either did so in a truly free market uh or 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 didn't have to, didn't have to because co companies cut their pollution a little bit and i mean it's not like this idea that just regulation is always bad. Deregulation is always good that some, some on the right have is, is crazy. But it's also like we have to, I guess, be clear that nobody wants a Marxist approach of the government running Tesla and Sunrun and, next, and you know, uh, all these companies. All we want is for companies to pay the price for their pollution. The, the, the consistent overall thing is that who has the biggest megaphone typically – sets the conversation, Zach. And so folks on our side are always playing defense around things that are so basic like this, you know, pay for your pollution. That, that is, it's our catchphrase and that, that is it. But when it comes down to it, um, you know, the, the, those who have a lot of money and want to keep making that much money uh, have a very strong financial interest in making sure that those regulations don't go in place. And of course, we're not, again, we're not asking that the government take over ExxonMobil as a, you know, a, a state-owned oil company, we're asking that they put some common sense regulations in place to cap methane emissions and other things that, you know, are, are dangerous for all of us. And uh, if, if, if the government's not setting that rule and companies are able to externalize that cost, like, why would any oil company do anything different? Why would they voluntarily pay a little extra to cap their methane emissions and find something to do with that methane? Um, no, the, this it's capitalism. That's that's you go for the profit. And I mean, um, the ironic things you get surveys where eighty percent of the public supports clean energy, support government involvement in right. promoting pr protecting our air and our water, 
um, even probably higher than 80% for the topic. But then there'll also be like a majority of supports deregulation because they lump it like, they just lump these things together without sort of distinguishing um, we need regulation on some things and we need less regulation on other things. Like there's a lot of red tape around solar permitting that could be deregulated for a benefit. Um, but you sort of have this kind of, this kind of problem of all of our, so much of our political discussion is just shallow. It's not really about policy. It's about, it's about catch catchphrases. Exactly. Um, and then you also have the problem of like the Republican party is heavily just does whatever corporations want. And then some Democrats on some topics are also sort of doing what corporations want that support them. And there's not a lot of, there's not like, I don't think there's many places where there's a risk of anyone, even if it was like hundred percent democratic control, like doing over-regulation. Like, I don't think anybody is for over-regulation. Like it's, it's generally speaking, everyone's just for regulation on key things that are not regulated that should be right. and deregulating things that are over-regulated. Um, but the politics sort of decides who's in power. And then there's just a heavy, heavy, like Republicans are just in the hands of corporations. They they have no real policy preference these days beyond deregulate everything. Let corporations do whatever they want and cut taxes so that nobody has to pay the government to do anything. <laughs> and it's like uh, it's just a simple like their policies are so simple that it's just it's a little disturbing that that we can't talk about policy and get that clear. But I, I don't know. Yeah, we can. <laughs> uh, lots, lots of, lots of, uh, lots to go into there. Um, it, it is what it is. I think you nailed it, and I think that's you know that in in very much in particular, parties are aligned with certain types of industries and certain types of companies. Um, right. The the GOP in a lot of places have actually lobbied for more regulation of things like solar, and so yeah, when, you see, yes. when you see like solar permitting and electric vehicle tax incentives. Um, even health code, uh, health code, building code, um, we, we see, uh, you know, I've been testifying here in, in my hometown uh, on uh, any number of bills, and I highly encourage everybody to act local and show up to community events and, and, and um, city council meetings and stuff like that and testify on behalf of these bills. This, this is where you, your voice really does carry some weight um, in small communities. And, you know, when you when you show up and testify and then there's a lobbyist from the American Chemistry Council who shows up to testify opposite you, you're like, wow, I'm just some Joe Schmo. And then here's here's this national organization with a with a, a multi multi billion dollar budget um, who who is showing up to testify in local city council ordinances and try to increase regulations in the health code so that um, food trucks have to have people put plastic plastic um, gloves on to handle every piece of thing and they have to take them off in between each customer and stuff like that. So, so they're, they're acting on even the micro scale level, which just shows that yeah. they've, they've got money. They're trying super hard. They want regulations that will slow down the transition and they want to get rid of regulations that are keeping them from making more money. And, and look, you know, it's, it's a free market that's, they're allowed to do this, but we're also allowed to call them out for it. <laughs> so it is what it is. Yeah. Um, well, what are circling back to plastics? Then yeah, what so are what are plastic. three? What are no? I mean, I, 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 I saw that line in your email. I was like, man, I'm gonna I have to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I knew it was sort of a rant, side rant on plastic. What are like three top things, either individual level or policy level, 
three top things you sort of feel need to be pushed uh, repeatedly and, and you know implemented in our own lives as as possible. Yeah, I, I think city-wide bans of various things, plastic bags and and uh, styrofoam containers and stuff like that. Restaurants, um, you know, there's there's a variety of like. Uh, great examples of good legislation on the city and county and, and that sort of level that that's where it needs to it needs to be right now we can work our way up to state and then eventually to federal um, so that's a big one uh, personal decisions voting with your dollars it is important you know it, it is very important that people um, take a plastic inventory on their own uh, there's a bunch of tools out there people can do their own uh, DIY plastic audit and then try to figure out what their solutions are and just cut back. I mean, when it comes down to it, every dollar spent on a piece of plastic is more or less a dollar that supports the oil industry. And so if we want to, you know, take our money and put it towards the things that we want to see in the future, we need to start to start supporting those things, local farms, clean energy, um, that sort of thing. And uh, every dollar that we shift from plastic to a uh, non-plastic alternative is, it's a market signal, you know, and so that, that's a powerful thing. Um, and then I think the third thing, just spread it, you know, talk, talk about um, plastic, your own personal story with plastic. Um, I'm encouraging everybody to, you know, YouTube is, is big, uh, make videos. Like it's great to post on your social media and do something written. Um, but, you know, kids, uh, I, I, I got to that point where Zach, where I'm, I'm now like the kids these days, yeah, um, kids, it, you know, people in their, you know, early twenties, uh, in their teens, they're at an influential, um, influenceable point in their life um, they're trying to figure out their thing and like they're watching a lot of videos so uh, you can create cute and attractive and fun videos interactive videos solutions oriented videos that sort of thing which really help um, to get uh, to get this mindset that like we can do better and so let's let's move yeah. forward to do better so I think and those would be really my, good to main things really good to get young people involved in doing that with you like as much as possible i yeah I, I love when i'm like like oh yeah when i was in high school a few days uh 20 20 years ago uh <laughs> it was like it was like oh wait it wasn't the yesterday it was 20 years ago uh but we you know one thing we really benefit from on clean technique is we have some young people who are just it's really good to have intergenerational teams um and they really you get a lot of mixed benefits um well and so we have we have really sort of exciting news this year that basically ExxonMobil its stock has tanked oil oil companies have, have been tanking sort of like coal companies did some going bankrupt um Exxon just got passed up by NextEra Energy a clean clean energy focus company that has more than that um in in market cap market value it was also passed up by Tesla earlier this year in market cap uh so you have a sort of huge transition like really starting it seems where the market the investment market is starting to see oil companies as old news right. and trying to get out how does that so how does that kind of uh, you know the kind of oil industry struggles how will that impact plastics i don't really have any idea i know they're it's linked i know but huge. i don't know how it impacts the future of plastics it's huge and 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 so this is a really important thing to kind of note if if we really are going to get to a point of sustainability globally we really have to stop drilling for as much oil right that, that is fundamentally it's a it's a huge deal fracking drilling for oil you know digging coal these these are the kinds of things we really need to be phasing out and we need to be creating clean energy jobs electric electrify 
electrification or transportation jobs, plastic alternative jobs, that sort of thing to help people transition away from these industries and to show that there's a profit center out there and let the entrepreneurs uh, go do their thing. Um, so all the big uh, chemical companies, so this includes Dow and DuPont, Saudi Aramco, ExxonMobil, um, uh, Chevron Phillips, et cetera, they, they are doubling down, seeing this global uh, transition away from oil as a fuel, and they're doubling down on plastic production. And if you read through all their, their corporate documentation, you know, they're all publicly traded companies, uh, except for the Coke industries, which is notable, it's private. Um, if you read through the public disclosures of all these, these folks, and they're trying to encourage investors to stay and invested in their companies, what they're saying is that while oil demand is dropping for fuel, they see tremendous potential in plastic. And they, to, a, to a company, they're all committed to doubling their plastic production over the next 20 years. Yeah. And that, that, when you pull oil out of the ground, you can do a lot with it. It's a very useful thing. You can burn it for, you know, to fly a plane. You can burn it to, to drive a car. Or you can put it in a laboratory and create plastic out of it. And so they're just seeing a nice transition. They say this can extend their runway for a lot longer. And that is hugely problematic. So in this um, podcast from NPR, um, she goes to this, uh, this new, brand new shiny factory, what she called a pristine new warehouse where there weren't even stands on the floor yet. In Sweeney, Texas, uh, a $6 billion facility that Chevron Phillips just opened. And this is something they've been uh, obviously working on for a long time. And this is a plastic manufacturing facility. So they just literally just invested $6 billion more to produce more plastics. So they're, they're signaling the market very clearly that this is their future is they believe in plastic. Now, the, the woman goes back and she, she tracks down um, the guy who is the head of the lobbying organization uh, from the plastics industry. 30, 40 years ago when they started putting those recycle symbols on. And she dove into the history of it and she found documents that were donated to the Syracuse library and she went, tracked down all these documents. Many of them had been recalled uh, and taken out of circulation. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating, uh, again, it's called Wasteland on uh, Planet Money. Uh, it's two or three episodes back now. Um, she talks to uh, the guy who back in the day uh, used to do this is Larry Thomas and Larry Thomas was the head of the lobbying industry for um, the oil and gas and plastics industry. They, he said, you know, back in the day they had um, this, this problem, plastic. And they were like, Hmm, this is, people are starting to become aware of it. So what they did is they launched a very aggressive PR campaign to educate people about how much uh, this was not a problem. And that was their way of, of fixing it was educating, educating people that they can be recycling their plastics those little recycle symbols, that was a part of that. And so they launched this whole thing, did hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars worth of advertisements to prove to people that plastics could be recycled. Um, they sponsored uh, school recycling, you know, recycle drives, et cetera, et cetera, of course, to influence the kids who then for the next 30, 40 years are now consumers of plastic thinking they can put stuff in the bin because they did it when they were in school. So it's a re-education program now. Um, but this, uh, what's really interesting is the, the guy, Larry Thomas said, um, she, she was like, well, look, look what the industry is doing right now. They're, they're launching this whole PR campaign about education, et cetera, et cetera. 
she interviewed Jim Becker, who is the, the VP of sustainability at Chevron Phillips. And uh, he said they're going to recycle all the plastic they make by 2040. So in 20 years, they'll be recycling all the plastic that they make then. That's so convenient. For, <laughs> yeah. For, well, for 20 more years, they're not going to, yeah. they're not going to recycle yeah. it all. And 20 she, years from now said, when everybody will, when, when, you know, any, yeah. any 20 year plan sort of pisses me off now, even if I, it's I like know. the most aggressive on the market, if it's a 15, 20 year plan, it's like I'm, like, I'm like, okay, do something else that you can yeah. do in the next five years to it's, show that you're really doing something, you know? It's just, just like a, a company. If you, if you want to try and get, get investment, you say, here's, here's our five-year plan, but here's what we're going to execute on this year. And here's the milestones. And typically investors will invest for that one year time horizon. And if you hit those milestones, maybe they'll put more money in seeing that you have made your milestones. When, when companies like Chevron Phillips can't come up with anything better than a 20 year vague plan yeah. in 20 years, they're going to recycle all their plastic. I'm like, mm-mm. Show me and your for, deliverables in year, year one and year two and what you're going to hit. Um, but his quote was, they will make recycling work. He said, we need to commit to education, <laughs> um, infrastructure, and innovation. And so that was, that was the VP of sustainability who is in charge of the plastic problem at Chevron Phillips. And this is a guy that I'm sure is thinking to himself, like, this is, what, what am I telling these people? This is just whatever. Um, another industry veteran from 40 years ago, Lou Freeman, uh, said this is just deja vu all over again. It literally is the exact same program that they ran 40 years ago, educating people that plastics can be recycled. And the bottom line is that they can't. So, so well, here, I mean, it's very similar. The hydrogen, the hydrogen push has been going on for decades, and it's sort of it's the the oil and the gas industry's transportation or fuel alternative. Um, which they've pushed really heavily, very, 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 very heavily. And it would basically, you know, you could you mostly get natural gas from, I mean, get hydrogen from natural gas reformation. So it just allows them to con- continue doing more or less what they do, but selling in a different, uh, uh, you know, a different way. So it's interesting to hear about the plastics because I always hear about them as like a side thing. Like I, I know it's a part of the industry, but, to hear you say that they're going to really ramp up the push for plastics and really basically it sounds like it kind of reminds me of a tobacco kind of PR, you know, pro tobacco PR push um, to try to get people to get on plastics, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. So bottom line though, Zach, is that, you know, the, the plastic industry doesn't have an answer. I think that, that if we, if you, if you want to have a, have a quote to take away, that's it. The plastic industry their answer is the same as their answer was 40 years ago. Nothing has really changed except for the fact that now our, you know, we're, we're eating five grams of plastic per week. The oceans are totally full of plastic. Every body of water around the world is full of plastic. Our landfills are full of plastic. So that's the only thing that's changed since 40 years ago is that we have 40 years worth of proof that this doesn't work. So, so that's it. So, so I always try to like leave people with, you know, a positive kind of can do takeaway sort of thing. Again, it comes back to that leaded gasoline thing. It, it, plastic's not going to go away. Like, it's too useful. We, we need a, a free market solution that is uh, tangible, actionable, affordable, um, applicable, functional, useful, etc. And And that's, you know, that's what we should be talking about um, going forward on Clean Technica and articles in the future and, and everything else. Um, and one of those solutions is on Indiegogo right now. And that is uh, a, a part of our company is uh, we do a zero waste subscription box. 
And so that box comes in the mail uh, either once a month, every other month, or every third month. And that subscription box has um, any number of products, totally customizable. It can be soap, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, lotion, sunscreen, uh, lip balm, uh, all the home essentials. And uh, basically this uh, Indiegogo campaign is trying to raise $20,000 um, on a fixed goal. So if they don't get it, we don't, you know, we don't get the money. Um, so uh, selling, pre-selling subscription boxes and some of them are as, as low as 50% off. So it's a, uh, this is a, a test to see whether or not the, the market is primed and ready for um, this to happen. And this is a solution to plastic. Every one of these subscription boxes basically takes a hundred plastic bottles out of your uh, personal plastic inventory every year. And so, you know, it's, this is something simple, easy to do. It's super convenient. There's free shipping both ways. The box literally fits in the mailbox. You get it out. It's got full products in it. You put your empties back in it. It's a prepaid shipping label, tape the box back up together. You send it back. And when we as the company get the empty bottles back, we clean them, uh, we refill them, and then we sell them again. So this is a zero waste subscription model. What's the name on, what's the campaign name on Indiegogo? Um, a solution to reduce plastic. Cool. Yeah. People, go to it. A solution to re reduce plastic. And, uh, <laughs> and also don't forget to vote. Yeah, and uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't want to get into political solutions yeah, because I feel like I feel like nobody's doing anything on the on the national federal level. Uh, like you said, local I mean, local politics are critical for like any any really real progress, I think. Indeed, indeed. And it's it's got to start local and it's got to we have to prove models again, leaded gasoline. Right. So this this is the alternative to leaded gasoline. This is one of many. Um, you look at companies like Patagonia, they're doing amazing things with regard to like fixing a lot of their, their um, clothing and stuff like that. There's a lot of life cycle oriented companies that now take products back and will fix them, repair them for you for the life of the product. Those are the types of companies. It's a good investment. Yeah, it might cost a little bit more up front, but it's a good investment because they fix stuff whenever a, a zipper breaks or a seam tears or whatever, they literally fix it for you. And those are the models that are the alternative to the leaded gasoline, which is plastic. So support those companies and you'll see more of those companies. If there's more of a profit motive there, believe me, more companies will jump on board and do it. Including a solution to plastic and uh, Punahome, Punahome Essentials, uh, all, of, all of the stuff you, you've been doing for several years now. Two years, yeah. I mean, two years and more than a thousand customers served. Uh, we've proved the model. So this subscription model is just sort of a, a big expansion across the mainland US. So we've been working mostly here in Hawaii and serving a zero waste population here. Um, but now we have a, a facility on the mainland to uh, uh, create product, bottle product, wash bottles, um, the, whole, the whole zero waste model. And so now this, this Indiegogo campaign is about uh, expanding this across the mainland US. I love that you just routinely say the ma the mainland. <laughs> we're like, mainland, yeah. <laughs> we're, we we don't call it that here. You know? <laughs> but it's like it's like oh, this person is a true Hawaiian. They're calling us mainlanders. The mainland. We live on the mainland. It's, like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not really lingo you hear. I think uh, outside of Hawaii, probably. But uh, the lower forty-eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Continental we're, U.S. <laughs> that that big island on the to the east. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks a lot, Scott. We're, work hard hopefully um, get some people to to sign up uh, on indiegogo 
Uh, say it one more time, a solution. A solution to reduce plastic. And if you just get on Indiegogo and search for that, those keywords, you'll find it. Cool. Thanks a lot. Have a Thank good, you, Zach. Have a good evening in Hawaii there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Walk, 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 walk,